1996, Bill Gates said, content is king. And boy was he right. Three decades later, it still occupies the throne. For lawyers, law firms, and companies serving the legal industry, content marketing and thought leadership marketing are must if they want to build their books of business or increase their revenues. Hi, I'm Wayne Pollock. I'm a former AmLaw 50 senior associate who discovered the world of content marketing and thought leadership marketing and hasn't looked back. In each episode of this podcast, I interview lawyers and legal industry in-house marketers who are doing big things with their content marketing and thought leadership marketing. This is Legally Contented. Welcome to episode number 35 of Legally Contented. I'm your host, Wayne Pollock. Imagine Anytime you opened your mouth, 133,000 people were hanging on your every word. That's pretty much the case with my guest in this episode, Aiden Durham. Aiden is a small business and intellectual property attorney in Colorado, but of note, her YouTube channel, All Up In Your Business, has more than 133,000 subscribers. It's her main marketing channel, as you might have guessed. In this episode, Aiden and I discuss all things YouTube. We talk about the importance of deciding the right tone and the level of informality when you're recording YouTube videos. We talk about a major misconception lawyers have about what they need to do to shoot YouTube videos. And we talk about the mindset you need to have when you are a prolific and consistent content creator. No matter where you're at on the YouTube spectrum, whether you're already recording and publishing videos on YouTube, whether you are contemplating dipping your toes in a YouTube water, or you have no desire whatsoever to market on YouTube, this episode is going to be entertaining. And if you're interested in recording and publishing videos on YouTube to build your practice and or your firm, this episode is pretty much a must listen. Enjoy my conversation with Aiden. Aiden Durham, welcome to Legally Contented. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, thank you, Wayne. Thank you for having me. I'm Aiden Durham. I am the founder and owner of 180 Law Co. in Colorado, and I also started a YouTube series called All Up In Your Business, where I talk about business law and intellectual property, um, and our, our focus at 180 Law Co. is also kind of around intellectual property and business law, all transactional stuff. So Aiden, I asked you to join me on this podcast because I would consider you to be a massive YouTube <laughs> sensation. Uh, you've got a hundred, as of right now, about one hundred thirty-two thousand subscribers. A hundred thirty-two thousand YouTube subscribers for a lawyer practicing IP law and small business law. That just blows my mind and I want to dive all into that. <laughs> but before we get there, I'm curious. Can you talk a little bit about your legal career that led to you founding 180 Law Co. a while back? Sure. So uh, really, I've always been uh, perfectly average in most things that I do, including law school and my rankings and grades and everything. You know, I wasn't top of class. I wasn't bottom, but I was right in the middle. So I didn't have a bunch of uh, job opportunities. I didn't get all the on-campus interviews that I wanted coming out of law school. Um, And I had been interning with a solo attorney in Denver for my uh, third year in law school. And he told me that after I graduated and passed the bar, he'd be interested in hiring me as an associate. That day came and went, uh, and he just didn't have the the bandwidth to uh, justify hiring me. And like I said, I didn't have a whole lot of other opportunities out there. Um, and so I kind of decided, well, I, I wanted to go solo at some point anyway. So I guess now is as good a time as any. Um, so I started right out of law school. I don't have any firm experience as a licensed attorney, at least. Um, but that was, what, the end of 2013. So I'm going into my 10th year now, uh, about to. So I, you know, I guess it turns out it was an okay decision in the end. Well, congratulations. I don't know what anniversary that is. Is that, is that uh, paper or it's not gold? Good. Whatever it is. Whatever 10 Good years question. is. Good question. Yeah, I'll yeah. look into it. That's for next time, for part two. But congratulations on, on hitting year 10. And let's just say the trail of tears that has probably been formed by law students who were assured by an attorney they would have a job at their firm after graduation that failed to materialize, that trail of tears probably spans from coast to coast a few times up and back. So 
how did you know what to do as a lawyer when you were so quickly thrust into your own firm out of law school? I, I mean, I really didn't. Um, I, I knew kind of just some of the basics of what we learn in law school, which really isn't that much uh, that you can carry into practical use. Uh, but luckily, the, the legal community in Colorado, at least, is very friendly and supportive. I was able to get a lot of support and help from other lawyers through the Colorado Bar Association. And then, you know, but fake it till you make it, I guess, kind of thing. Just just figuring it out as I went along, um, figuring out how to do the things that my clients were asking me to do and how to say no to the things that I'm realizing, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. So much of marketing is figuring out what you don't want to do and steering away from that. And so with your networking, just steering away from those problem referral sources, those problem clients that you just don't want to get into the kinds of law you don't want to practice. How did you settle on business law and IP? Uh, you know, it, it came a lot from my own experience of starting my own practice. When I first started, I was doing a mix of business law and estate planning, and I really enjoyed the kind of personal nature of estate planning. Um, but I, at the same time, I wanted to have a kind of virtual and location independent practice so I wouldn't have to be face to face with clients all the time. And estate planning, it's a lot harder to do that virtually because it's so personal. Um, but working with business owners, especially small businesses where it's a, a solo business owner, I, I still get that kind of personal interaction with the business owner. And I still get to feel like I'm very involved with their life because their business, what they're starting is, I assume, a huge portion of their income or they're hoping for it to be. And so it's important. So I like that I have an involvement in kind of that personal aspect of my clients, uh, their their lives and their well-being. Did you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Were you around small business owners and got to see firsthand the ups and downs and the roller coaster they're on? I, I did a little bit. Yeah. So my dad uh, owns his own business. He bought it from his business partner when, when I was a child. And so I certainly uh, remember seeing the struggles that he went through um, with that whole experience. And I got to, you know, work, help out with some of the office administrative duties. So I got to see a little bit of how owning a business works there. But outside of that, no, I wasn't, I didn't have a ton of exposure to business or law. I don't have any lawyers in my family either. Um, so it was, it was, a lot of it was pretty new to me. I guess there is some advantage though of having your dad seeing what the mindset is. I think so often with lawyers, we have to get into the mindsets of our clients and we see the law, we see their issues from a legal perspective, especially litigators. You know, we see the claims, we see the defenses and we see the interrogatories or depositions, but our clients see an interview coming up. It's a deposition. They see them being pelted with questions for seven hours. And that is completely foreign to anyone who is not an attorney. And on your side of the world, in terms of the business law, being able to understand that for many small business owners, to your point, they've got everything invested in their business. All the chips are in the center of the table. And if this thing doesn't work, they are screwed and they need help and they need people who actually take an interest in their business, not just people who are going to bill three hours, you know, and, and uh, uh, read the contract and move on. Like they need someone who's warm and cares because they have so much of their lives wrapped up in their business. I have to ask 180 Law Co. I know the number 180. What's the significance <laughs> of the law firm name? Uh, so the, the 180 was to kind of signify that, you know, at 180 degrees, I do things differently. I'm kind of the opposite of your traditional uh, standard law firm and lawyer. Um, but there's also a kind of a secret hidden meaning behind it. Uh -oh, uh, not, uh -oh. Easter, not, Easter egg uh, warning. Uh-huh. I know. This is a big secret. Not a lot of people know about it. Uh, so my, my name, Aiden Durham. My initials are AD. There's one of me in the firm. So one AD. Also, so that's the that. little, I guess, double entendre, secondary meaning behind it. Do athletes have these cool logos where they have like their initials and their number? You've got to find a way. There's, are there logos somewhere, some monograms somewhere of the AD and the 180 just coming together? If not, 
You gotta get on that. Not, uh, yeah, merch, merch idea. Thank there you. There you go. Get the merch store. You got a hundred something thousand subscribers. Get the merch store up there. Come on. Absolutely. So it is clear to me that you are not the typical lawyer based on the videos and arguably just the fact that you were willing to jump out onto YouTube many years ago and put yourself out there. You've separated yourself obviously from the pack. I'm curious before we get to YouTube and before you got to YouTube. How did you start marketing your firm? You're on your own. You're a baby lawyer. You're just out of law school. What did you see as the way to start building your book of business, building your referral network, your client network? Uh, it was a lot of networking, really, that I dive, uh, I dove headfirst into networking, which I hated because I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't like going into groups of people I don't know. Uh, it was miserable for me, but that I joined every, you know, every BNI, I joined the Rotary Club, Chamber of Commerce, every group you could think of. And that, that it helped. It, it kind of got me a, a boost, helped me to meet people out in the community and stuff. Um, and then I also did a little bit of kind of paid marketing, you know, paying to be on the, the preferred vendor list for the local news station or, you know, this preferred vendor list, that kind of stuff, which those didn't, I didn't see a single client from any of those paid marketing efforts. Uh, the, the networking was kind of much more helpful in the beginning. Is the networking what helped you get to the business law and the IP practice? Were you taking a much broader range of cases and then you had the good fortune to take some business cases? How, how did you find yourself with the business law practice, the IP practice, when you had such a kind of broad entree into the legal community based on having just gone from law school to your own firm? Yeah, it was really from uh, from networking and starting to get a broader range of clients and, and different types of matters, um, realizing that I did enjoy m more of the business law stuff than I had initially thought of. And I with like trademarks, um, those weren't initially even on my radar when I started my practice. I didn't consider doing trademark law. And then one day someone brought it up and asked me about it. And I said, well, yeah, I'll look into it. And then that kind of put me into doing trademark law because I enjoyed that so much. So uh, yeah, it was really just kind of over time narrowing down of, I, I like doing these things a lot more than some of these other things. It's funny, on one hand, if you hear from any marketer, especially when it comes to the professional services world and lawyers, it's so important to, to focus and to niche down and be known as a lawyer who does something really well. Few people can make, especially in this day and age, can make a great living as a general litigator or a general business law attorney. But it's so funny when you first starting out, you almost have to take the opposite approach. Like, how the hell do I know? what I want to practice. I don't know. Litigation seems cool, but also so does IP or so does real estate law. And few people, even if you're at a large law firm, you're often dropped into a group litigation, corporate real estate. It's so hard to be able to pick and choose and get a sense of what you like, or in your case, the flexibility to have an IP case brought to you and you just scratch your head and be like, huh, actually, this is a pretty cool area of law. I could do this. You don't always have that flexibility. Some people are just forced to stick with what they were told they or thought they wanted to do. Imagine mm -hmm. if that attorney that promised you the job after law school, if you started working for them, you your practice would have been dictated by them. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's a huge part of why looking back, I'm so glad that I ended up going the way that I did, because just like you said, I've been in control of exactly what types of cases I want to handle, the types of clients I want to work with. I don't have to work take a client just because my boss is telling me I have to. And if I decide one day I don't want to do this uh, area of law anymore, I can get rid of it and start doing something else. I, I mean, just that, that flexibility and that agency over what I do every day is um, priceless for me. Okay, so let's talk about YouTube here. And let's talk about your start into YouTube. When you started, what, 10 years ago or so, maybe a little bit less, you could have done other things. You could have just been a Facebook person or blogged or been on Twitter all the time. What about YouTube got you interested in getting on the platform, recording videos? And at that point, had you considered doing other content marketing, thought leadership marketing type uh, endeavors? Yes. So I, 
I really wanted to lead in in my marketing and everything kind of public facing. I wanted to lead with personality rather than, you know, my achievements and my accolades and my degrees and all of that. I wanted I wanted the personality to be kind of the first thing because that was my whole shtick is that I'm not your average lawyer. I'm not your everyday, you know, traditional standard lawyer. Um, and so that's where the video idea mainly came from is how, how do I get my personality in front of potential clients? Um, and, and video seemed like the best way to do that. And then with YouTube specifically, I knew that I wanted to work with clients. Well, at, at the time, I myself was a, a young young woman. I was in my late 20s. And so I, I wanted to also work with younger entrepreneurs and younger business owners kind of in my same age range. And I knew, you know, if I have a question, if I need info, I'm going to YouTube to find it or at least Google, which owns YouTube. So uh, I knew I'm I'm going there. My clients, my potential clients are probably there. So why wouldn't I put my videos? Why wouldn't I be there to get in front of them? Um, and I did I did do and I still do like blogs, written blogs that go along with my videos. But initially, I wanted to try to avoid having to write stuff. Uh, just getting out of that. I learned pretty quickly for SEO purposes, I'd still have to write things even to go along with the videos. Uh, but even that, all of my all of my additional marketing efforts, kind of everything boils down ultimately to videos and YouTube. It all kind of points back to YouTube in one way or another. The one thing about YouTube, and I tell this to lawyers that I work with, normally big law, big law partners, corporate partners, that it, it, today, content marketing is the equivalent of the in-person speaking or the in-person conference networking that lawyers a decade ago, two decades ago, lived off of in terms of new business. And with every video that you record, whether it's five minutes or 20 minutes, you are giving a miniature presentation. And you have, it's almost like this little speaking engagement, this little conference that is kept on YouTube that lives as far as we know, forever, and is assess accessible by anyone who goes on YouTube and searches for the topics that you create your videos on. If you had to go to all of those B&I meetings and all of those Chamber of Commerce meetings, or even go around the area to all the various entrepreneur startups, you would spend your entire day on the road, in the car, out outside, but the video, the videos give you so such a broader reach and especially when you're doing IP work with the federal practice, you do, you're able to handle clients from across the country, not just Colorado, or California, although I know you're licensed in Colorado. So you have this wider reach. It's just so interesting how today, even though you've got lawyers who consume content, they see other lawyers consuming content, and yet getting over that hurdle of getting onto YouTube or, or hell, just writing more often on LinkedIn or writing a 500 word blog a few times a month. It's such a mental hurdle, yet it is the modern evolution of the way that attorneys 10, 20, 30 years ago got business in terms of shaking hands, meeting people at conferences. I'm curious, how did you approach the topic selection? Were you listening for your videos? Are you just inspired by divine inspiration to cover certain topics? Are you basing what you wrote, uh, what you're shooting on client questions? And really, I guess we can start from the beginning. When you started doing your YouTube videos, what was the inspiration for those topics? Yeah, so it, it started mostly on the questions that I get asked most often, the super common questions that I get from clients. Um, and that is still most of where my topics come from, are questions that come up. Now it's questions that people ask in the comments of videos or um, things like that. Um, so it, it's mostly that, which is is great because it's uh, obviously like you said i'm not i'm not reinventing the wheel here i'm presenting information that we've been presenting in in conferences and talks and in blogs and and articles all along i'm just doing it in a slightly different format and medium um but but the the same information is being presented and so you know eventually i started uh kind of 
I've talked about all the things that I can think of to talk about. And so now I have more of a kind of loose take on it. I'll, I'll pick a topic that's more pop culture uh, related sometimes if there's a big trademark celebrity story in the news or something that I think is interesting or fun. Um, I mix it up a little bit more now. Or I address the exact same questions, but I present it in a slightly different way and title, call the video something different because the audience that watched that same video 10 years ago is probably different than the audience that's going to watch this new one today. How many different times can you explain the difference between an S-Corp and an LLC without, <laughs> right? Like You would be surprised. I've explained it a lot, yet people still uh, have questions about it. So I mean, that's the thing to, the, to keep in mind, even though you may think, no, I've already answered this question. It's still unanswered for a lot of people. And if you can frame it in a slightly different way, that might help it click with one additional person. I would be remiss if I didn't ask when you shot that first video and your finger is hovering over the upload button for YouTube and then eventually the publish button, what was running through your head and what did you think was going to happen when you finally uploaded that first video to YouTube? <laughs> I was uh, I was really nervous about it, obviously, because uh, I, I had no idea what was going to happen. I assumed one of two things. Either absolutely no one would watch it and it would be a huge bust, which was close to what happened with that first video. Or because there are no other lawyers on YouTube doing this, I would instantly go viral and it would be a huge smash hit and I'd be an overnight YouTube sensation. That certainly didn't happen. Um, it, was, it was a bit closer to the first one. You're modest, 130-something thousand, 130-something thousand people at some point have decided to subscribe to your videos. They get notified when you publish new videos. And some of these counts, some of these videos, you've got one, ironically, LLC versus S-Corp theme has 664,000, 664,000 viewers of that video. That's insane. And interestingly, it's from six, seven, eight years ago which also shows the impact of just hanging around long enough. <laughs> if you're right. out there long enough and you give time for people to search the questions, you could, if you think about it, it's kind of crazy to think about it, but someone who watched that video in their, let, let's say they were in their mid-20s when they watched that video, let's say eight years ago. Now they're in their 30s perhaps and they're in a different spot of life in life. And people who are watching that video today may have been a teenager when you launch that video and they're in a different spot too. It's just amazing the compounding effect that these videos have where they're out there, they're covering certain topics and they are in a way timeless business topics, right? You're no dummy in terms of the topics you're picking. You're picking questions that real human beings have that you could answer and that you know are going to come up again and again and again, because I would I'd like to assume that one person has not watched that video 666,000 times, that instead you're getting different people who want to start a business and are debating between LLC and S Corp and how to pay themselves and they come to that video. So there is something to be said for just kind of sticking around and having the firm out there long enough where you start to see those types of results. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I've noticed, particularly with my channel compared to other other YouTube channels that aren't lawyer related with these successful channels. Often there's like a big spike in growth where they they go viral with some video or something happens where they grow really quick. My channel has been it's been slow and steady the entire time. And so that's why, you know, I have some of my real older videos that have performed really well, have those huge numbers, whereas some are on, you know, the opposite end and are much smaller. And my subscriber base, you know, hasn't shot up overnight, but it, it continues at a steady, you know, at a steady pace that is, is nice and kind of predictable um, to that extent. One thing that people will notice if they look at your videos is that there's an informality about you, and that's certainly coming through in this interview, but there's also an informality about the way the videos are shot. These are not Hollywood quality, slick produced microphones everywhere, 27 lights. This is you. They're often you in front of the computer. I presume that your computer, your laptop, your phone recording it, they're high quality, but they are not slick productions. And I'm curious, 
when you got into these videos, did you think about the quality of the production in terms of investing money in a microphone, investing money in a light? Because so many people think that you've got to do that before I can even dream about being on YouTube, I've got to go and buy this and buy this and buy this, and then maybe I'll be ready to start recording videos. So how did you approach the look of your videos and the equipment that you used? I I was slightly concerned about the quality in the beginning, but I knew so little about it that I, I didn't know enough to be that concerned. I did some research of how to make lighting be okay, um, but I, I didn't know where the channel was going to go. So I didn't want to invest in a bunch of expensive equipment. So when I, my first few videos, it was my um, laptop webcam, my laptop mic. I put a lamp in front of me uh, for some additional lighting. And that was it. I, I, the quality is not great of my original videos, but the content for m many of them is still very good. And that was what I focused on. And that was ended up being a lot of the feedback that I got was people were much more interested in the content and what I'm talking about rather than the quality of the video or the audio. Um, I've improved things significantly since then, and now I do have a much better uh, camera rather than just my webcam. I have a much better mic, um, but I do still, you know, quality is important, but it's still not as important as making sure that the content that I'm putting out there and the subjects that I'm talking about are important. And when I asked the question, and I start off by saying that You've got an informal presence to yourself, an informal personality. That could be reflected by the damn name of your channel, which is all up in your business. So I'm curious, I should have asked this in the beginning, where, why that name? Where'd it come from? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't really even remember specifically where it came from. Um, I was trying to think of some kind of play on on the word business, obviously, and me being involved in people's businesses. And I, I think one day the, you know, it just kind of came to me one day and I, I added the, you know, the apostrophe to yo instead of your to, to make it clear that, you know, we're, we're being sassy and informal around here. Let, let's just take that sassy up to 11. <laughs> we'll just turn that knob exactly. up. Exactly. Uh, but, but it's a perfect fit. Like, it, it is a bit in your face, but that's kind of how you come across. Your videos are full of emotion. You are not droning on. You, you have personality. You're letting it show. And we'll cover that in a minute, but I guess we can cover it now. When you started these videos, and unfortunately, YouTube just changed their interface. Previously, within the past couple of weeks, you used to be able to sort videos by the date they were uploaded. So you could easily go back and find people's first videos. I enjoy wincing at my first video from five, six years ago. I'm curious, when you started these videos, how did you get to the voice, Aiden's voice, the personality? Because there are people who have one personality in real life and one personality in on social media, in the virtual world. Some people are comfortable with that and they prefer that. Some people, you can't change them, whether they're talking to you face-to-face -face at a restaurant or on Zoom. How did you decide that the Aiden that was going to be on YouTube was going to be that version of Aiden, given the fact that we can be different people at different times and we can, we can ramp up or down our personality given the situation? And you had said before, you were not loving the face-to-face -face networking you had to do after law school. So I, I figured I'll just, I'll go into it with whatever uh, feeling or, or personality or attitude is present that day. And that, you know, I, I have a hard time with the networking and, and making small talk with new people. But when I know, when it's a topic that I can talk about, that I know about, that I feel confident that I'm informed of this, I feel comfortable talking about it to anybody. I can speak for hours about something that I am, I feel confident that I'm knowledgeable about. And so in that sense, it's much easier to have some of that personality come out on the videos because I know what I'm talking about, um, or at least I, I like to think that I do usually. And then there's the beauty of editing, is if uh, I feel like, ooh, uh, maybe I sounded too dull when I said that line, or maybe I should say this a little different, I can say it five different ways, uh, then cut out the four that I didn't like. Um, do you find yourself having to pay close attention to what's happening 
on YouTube trends, YouTube algorithm? Are you spending, whereas some lawyers spend all their time looking at updates to statutes and shepherdizing cases to see what's happening in the Ninth Circuit, in the Third Circuit, content creators have to hone their craft, markers to hone their craft, always be on top of the game. How are you treating that kind of research and that kind of ongoing professional development on the YouTube side? Are you spending time? Are you taking courses? Are you going to YouTube conferences to learn about how to continue to excel, excel at what you're doing with your YouTube videos? I pay some attention to the the big trends, but I try not to do too much research or keep too much track of like the nitty gritty updates and changes because those, you know, with the algorithm, those changes are happening so quick that it's often impossible to keep up because once you think you figured it out, they've changed something. Um, but, and, and I tend to, I can get, overly obsessive if I start looking into all the newest, you know, SEO um, facts in YouTube. I, I can get too into it. And next thing I know, I spent the entire day tweaking one word in all of my YouTube descriptions and it's a waste. Um, so I, I try to follow the big stuff. I attend, I've attended um, like VidCon, the, the big YouTuber um, content uh, convention previously and you know some of the tools that I use they have blogs and other things that keep some updates um, going but for the most part I I just put the stuff out there I stick with what I know generally works overall but I try not to focus too much on on what's new what you know specifics what's changed that kind of stuff the question on everyone's mind is at that conference you went to did all of the attendees spend the entire time with their selfie cameras on looking at themselves and recording videos and like bumping into walls and bumping into each other? There was so much of that. Yes. Yes. The halls were just filled with with folks do it with their uh, selfie sticks and recording their live streams. You know when someone is trying to get the perfect Instagram shot because there is some poor SOB holding an iPhone or holding an Android taking 27 photos of someone with ever-changing, ever-slightly-changing poses on the steps of a beautiful building or in front of cool scenery. It is so funny. I could only imagine that conference and just, yeah, we'll Zoom each other. We're across the room. We'll Zoom each other instead of actually, like, saying hi face-to-face. So. Right. Absolutely. And what's yeah. great is that you don't have to be embarrassed about it anymore if you're walking around taking selfies. No one's, no one's no. judging you for it anymore. They're all your peeps. They, these are people right. who are doing the same thing. Speaking of peeps, do you have help? Do you have freelancers or a team that's helping you with your editing of your videos, with your promotion, with publishing him? I do a little bit, and this is a, a relatively new development. Um, just a few months ago, I finally f hired a video editor. Uh, so up until then, I was doing all the editing myself, but now I've got someone who's much better at it, doing a much better job. Um, and then I have a contractor who handles my social media as well. And so that in includes um, some promotion for the videos too. Uh, outside of that, I, it's all me. I've noticed a couple of your more recent videos have a little bit more animations in them and have yeah. more going on. And it's funny because in a way, it's almost like keeping up with the Joneses where if people are used to seeing videos with certain elements in their non-legal video watching uh, time, they're going to start to expect the same thing when they watch lawyer videos because it's still YouTube to them, right? It's still a form of entertainment. It's education, but it's also a form of entertainment. So it's always funny to see how you've got it. And based on the questions and the reason why I asked the question before, staying up on YouTube trends, like people don't always differentiate educational content from playful content. I mean, you can flick up uh, TikTok and look at video after video and there's gonna be people dancing and there'll be lawyers talking about recent PI cases and you know what's a car accident type stuff. And it's all kind of mixed together. So I do think it's clear you've gotten some help because there are new animations in your videos. So you can pr maybe promote them, give them some more hourly rates based on those results. Do you have a filming schedule? Do you try to stick to a particular schedule both on recording and publishing the videos? I do. Yeah. So my uh, current schedule is that I film on Mondays. I film one video a week on Mondays and then I post every Wednesday uh, 
afternoon or evening at like 5.45 Pacific time. Um, I've gone, my, my filming schedule has changed over the years. There was a time where I would batch film uh, like two months worth of videos all in a day, which wow. was great at the time. Yeah, but it was very, very time consuming and, and a lot uh, energy consuming to do that. And so eventually I kind of settled back into one a week or sometimes I'll, I'll try to film two in a day so I get ahead of schedule. Um, but uh, as far as posting, my, my YouTube posting schedule, that's been mostly consistent the entire time I've had my channel. It's, I'm, I'm almost certain it's been Wednesdays uh, the entire time, pretty much every week. Um, and that's, that's mainly for... YouTube's sake because they like to see consistency and then uh, for my audience I assume they have grown to expect something to be posted on Wednesdays. Have there been instances where Monday rolls around you might have a topic in mind and you are just not in the right mindset based on what's happening in your life with client work with family whatever do you ever just say oh crap like I, I just don't want to record this or I'm not in the right mindset and what happens when that's the case? Yeah, that definitely happens. It happens uh, often, um, actually. And it's, it's probably the biggest challenge with doing this is being in that mindset, being having the right energy, um, and just being in the right in the right state of mind. When that happens, I will, I'll try to do something to get me, you know, out of that headspace, you know, go out, for a walk, you know, run some errands, trying to get out of my house, get my head, you know, out of it or something like that. Um, or maybe I'll, I'll just wait, uh, give it, give it an hour and see how I feel. Uh, sometimes if it's later in the day, I'll pour a glass of wine or make a cocktail and see if that helps. Um, but then there have been instances where I'm just like, I'm, I'm just not feeling it. And so I won't film uh, you know, I'll skip a week. It's not the end of the end of the world. People will get over it. YouTube will will survive without me for a week, um, and I've done it, and it's been fine. Um, you know, but but that that definitely is uh, the biggest the biggest challenge for me. And then I also have to keep in mind that just because I feel like I'm low energy doesn't mean that's how it's going to come across in the end. My editor, she works miracles. She can turn the most boring video into something entertaining. Um, so, so sometimes I just have to force myself, even if I don't feel like doing it, just, just say the words and then let's hope it turns into something that's watchable in the end. The irony is that if you were to record some of these videos in that not optimal mindset, you actually could endear yourself more to your audience because this is the real Aiden speaking and i noticed one of your videos must have been right around the time dobbs was decided by the u.s mm -hmm. supreme court you posted a video that was not quite similar to other videos it felt very much like a vlog an old school vlog where this is just aiden riffing on what happened today and what it's like to be a woman in the united states with this supreme court decision coming down regarding such a divisive and an important topic and i, I think that that's okay, right? If you're willing to be vulnerable, it's okay because then people realize it's not just all fun and giggles and LLC versus S Corp stuff. There's a real human being there and maybe they like you even more because they see you are not just this person performing for YouTube, performing for their entertainment. Right. Absolutely. And that's that's the whole point of using the video and YouTube is to relate to the viewers and to have some connection there. And so, of course, they're they're going to feel something if they see that I'm a real person. I'm not always at the top of my game. Um, and yeah, that that with that video, it wasn't um, the Dobbs decision hadn't been um, out yet. It was right after the leak uh, the, gotcha. of the opinion. Okay. And yeah, that day, I or actually the weeks leading up to that day, I was like, I just I don't feel like it. I don't want to. I'm I don't feel happy. I don't want to put out this content. And so I well, let's just talk about that at least and hope that um, someone can relate to it or some of my audience finds it helpful. Um, and it, it performed really well, but at the same time, it was it, it's one of my few videos that has a lot of negative feedback compared to others, you know, more thumbs down. I lost a lot of subscribers because of it, but I, I don't see that to be a bad thing necessarily.
it helps weed people out. Exactly. So speaking of people responding to your videos, how did you start to see that your videos were working? And there's obviously two paths we can go down. One side, you've got the vanity metrics, which are the likes, the subscribers, and that's all well and good. But I also want to hear about the sanity type metrics, the revenue, the new clients coming into the firm. When did you start to see people get interested in what you're saying based on those vanity metrics? And when did you start to see some impact to your law firm's business? Uh, I'd say with the vanity metrics and like the YouTube performance, it took, I want to say close to a year before I started seeing that things were working and I started seeing traction on it. I had been um, toying around with different topics like because I was doing estate planning at the time. Some of my videos were estate planning related. Those weren't performing well. And then <clears throat> I got more business focused <clears throat> and posted a video that was about single member LLCs, I think, and that one kind of boomed um, relative, you know, compared to my previous ones. And so it was it was that that kind of showed me, okay, let's maybe focus more on business, let's maybe focus more on single member LLCs, target into that, and then that was kind of when I started to see real growth um, with my channel and my videos. And then as far as like growth and seeing it work with my practice, that I was, was relatively early on as well. I would say probably maybe six months um, into it, I started getting, getting business because of YouTube. It wasn't necessarily uh, people finding my videos online and then contacting me about it, but you know, I'm, I'm going to networking events and I'm telling people I'm a lawyer and I have a YouTube channel. And so that's, I think, helping me to stand out in other people's minds at networking events. And so um, that, you know, helped encourage some of those referrals too. But well, And you make a great point about the blending, the mixture between, or the yin and yang between the face-to-face -face meeting and the networking and the content. And I view it like a political campaign where you've got ads going on TV that are covering a, a vast network and are reaching people through Facebook or the network TV stations or the newspaper or whatever. Then you have the ground game, going to events, meeting people, going door to door, shaking hands, kissing babies. It's very similar to the way the content works where you can show off your expertise and show off your knowledge and your wisdom through content, whether it's blogging, whether it's YouTube videos, whether it's Twitter, whatever it might be. And then people still have to get to know you face to face when you have the opportunity to do so. Why wouldn't they, right? Like I can tell that I like you based on this conversation. And oh, by the way, I'm going to go home and check out your videos and determine later on that you're the right lawyer for me because I'm launching an LLC. I need help with my operating agreement. I need an EIN. I need all of this stuff to get my company off the ground. So it really works well because people still want to work with people that they know, they like, and they trust. And yes, in these days, you can get very far with knowing, liking, and trusting based on content that's through electronic media, but still maybe gets you 90% of the way there. But that 10% is still so important that when you finally chat with someone over Zoom, face-to-face, -face, they feel a connection. They know you're qualified. They've seen all your videos or most of them. They know you're qualified. But man, actually being able to have that content speak for you where all you have to do is get over the finish line, I think it really speaks to how important the content creation is for any professional services firm, especially lawyers, but also you can't forget the in-person side because that just brings it all together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it it's incredible because I have consultations with uh, new clients who found my YouTube videos and they start off the conversation by asking, how's Rocky? How's my dog? They know my pet's names. They, you know, they, they know me. They feel like they know me. So I don't have to do that initial song and dance of really selling myself to the client because they are already for the most part sold. They just want to, you know, make sure we're a good fit together. Um, and it also, it doubles because they've already got a primer on the law if they've watched my videos. So if they come for a trademark, I don't have to explain to them from ground zero, here's what a trademark is, here's how this works. Cause they already kind of have that base info. So we can spend that consultation time, you know, finalizing the details, making sure we're a good fit, addressing the important questions rather than all that, that initial stuff that you typically have. I love the use of videos and podcasts that are private to educate clients on the legal process. Mm -hmm. You can see 
practically any area of the law, whether it's IP and corporate formation to white collar criminal defense work, imagine you being able to only record a video once about what a deposition is and how we're going to prep for it and what it's going to be like the day of or how to send us your medical records or whatever. Instead of repeating it once, twice, five times, a thousand times, you can record a YouTube video and it's your personality, but you can scale yourself. So I love the idea of, to your point, people being up to date or having some sense of the law, they see it with your public YouTube videos. But I always love it when I hear lawyers who are doing the private stuff to educate their clients and referral sources without having to be on a one-on-one Zoom call or phone call to walk them through the process. When you started to get new business coming in through YouTube, did that change the way that you were serving clients or the way that you were running your business? The reason I ask is because there's a dark side to when lawyers go viral, especially PI lawyers go viral on TikTok or YouTube or social media, they suddenly get inundated with phone calls. And if you have a PI firm with an intake person or an intake team that's used to 10 calls a day, 50 calls a week, whatever it is, and you've got a TikTok that goes viral, and you've got 500 calls that week, and these are people from across the country with not great cases. They literally have to change the way they operate their business based on their virality. I'm not suggesting that happened with you, but I'm just curious, with the interest from YouTube and the business you were able to generate, did you have to tweak how you were running your law firm? Uh, To an extent, I did, yeah, um, because... Uh, outside of the trademark stuff, I'm only licensed in Colorado. People all over the world are watching my videos. So I get a lot of inquiries from folks outside of Colorado that I would never be able to help. Um, so I had to set up you know, some way of handling those inquiries without being too um, time consuming and trying to automate that. Um, and then other Things like, uh, like I uh, again, I didn't expect that my channel was really going to get as much attention as it eventually did. But my cell phone number I put on my first few videos that proved to be a huge mistake mm. because I still now get texts and phone calls to my cell phone um, on almost a daily basis. So those kinds of things I had to adjust uh, in the channel going forward and then just trying to track exactly how my videos are are performing for my firm. How, how do I track the people that are coming to me because of YouTube? Those things I had to figure out as well. Well, that's a great segue to my next question here. You are the face of 180 Law Co. for better and for worse. And I'm curious, do you have situations where you think about whether you're the right attorney to handle a particular matter, but because people saw you, they want Aiden to handle their work. Do you think about that in terms of scaling your firm, where if you bring on colleagues, associates, or full-time associates or freelancers, people want Aiden because they see Aiden on YouTube? And on a related point, uh, I'm going to assume as a woman on YouTube, you may have been the object of an occasional troll or two or a thousand. I'm curious what being the face of your law firm on YouTube has meant in terms of the crap thrown at you by the public? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, I have had some concerns about being the face and you know, what if I wanna scale and hire associates? Is that gonna ruin this whole thing if people aren't working with me? Um, I, I haven't really had to dive deep into that because for the most part, it has just been me. But the, the little experiences I've had have been surprising that it's not as big of an issue as I expect it would probably be. Um, I've had an administrative assistant before who has handled a lot of the client communication. No one uh, you know, had an issue that it was my assistant talking to them rather than me. Um, but yeah, that, that is something that I have struggled with and, and deciding what is the direction that I want my firm to go in and how do I uh, reconcile that with, with still kind of being, being the face of the practice. For now, I don't plan on, on expanding drastically or bringing on associates, so I'm, I'm figuring I'll continue to do it for the time being at least. Um, and as far as, you know, the, the being a woman, the comments, it's been, I, I am grateful that the 
overwhelming feedback that I get in comments and on social media is positive, uh, overwhelmingly positive. My troll count is pretty low in turn, like in, in YouTube world, it's good. But certainly um, I've had plenty of comments where it's about my looks, which, you know, even if it's complimentary, that's not what this is about. Like, thank you if, if you're saying something nice, but I'd rather you be talking about uh, the topic at hand rather than my looks, because that's not the, the thing. But, um, you know, it's annoying, um, but it could be a lot worse. And I've, I've been lucky that for the most part, it's, it's only good feedback and... Um, but yeah, there have been there have been some really weird, creepy comments for sure, um, and I've gotten some weird emails and stuff too. But I think it all kind of goes with the territory. And even you know, uh, even the troll comments, you know, uh, engagement is engagement. YouTube <laughs> sees more activity, more views. As long as they're watching the videos, comment all the crap you want. I don't I don't care. Hit the subscribe button. That's what's important to me. Soldier on, Aiden. Don't settle for lack of engagement. We're going to get those numbers up any damn way we can. And right. if, if it takes some flack from the peanut gallery, then so be it. As we start to wrap up here, I'm curious, what opportunities have become available to you based on YouTube success and what you're doing at 180 Law Co? In addition to obviously you joining me on this podcast, are you getting invitations to speak at conferences, whether they are focused on uh, law or entrepreneurship or legal marketing are companies approaching you i know you i assume based on the ads that are running on youtube that you're getting some money from youtube because they can sell ads off your videos but do you have companies coming to you to do any sponsorships or partnerships and also have you built an audience that would buy things from you do you think if you had a $300 DIY trademark program or a $1,000 DIY business formation program, you have the kind of audience that would move forward with that and buy that from you. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I do. I think I do. Um, in, in terms of the other opportunities, it's been, it's been really everything. All of the opportunities that have opened for me have been because of YouTube. I've gotten, um, lots of, uh, podcast interview invitations. I've spoken at a few different conferences, nothing really over the past few years, obviously because of COVID that's all kind of died down. But, um, yeah, I've done a few different speaking engagements for different, um, business organizations and. I did some talk with the Bar Association in Colorado a few years ago. Uh, so it really has opened up this entire world and this whole community that I, I wouldn't have been a part of but for um, being on YouTube and, and meeting all these other people and other creators um, like at that VidCon. Um, convention I went to, I, I made a good friend there that I'm still friends with now, and she's not a lawyer, she's a YouTuber, but it's it's just opened up a lot of opportunities that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Um, and that, yeah, includes, I do get some brand partnerships now, so I have companies that pay me to mention their company or their services in a video. Um, those are, are sporadic, not a ton, but you know, it, that part's neat. And then, yeah, I get ad revenue from uh, the videos through through YouTube or Google AdSense as well, which I mean, the you know, not only do I not do paid advertising, but my advertising pays me. Uh, so it's there's, you know, it's kind of an incredible thing that I just managed to walk myself into that um, I'm have it, it's really it's become its own kind of business um, in itself and its own revenue stream, all the things related to the channel. That's incredible. I don't see any Coke bottles or product placement in the video right now that I see of you, but in your future videos, we'll pay closer attention to the cocktails you're making. And if you seem to be talking a lot about the history of this particular bourbon, we'll know that it's, it's probably a product placement. I'm curious, you have what I would consider to be a direct-to-consumer type legal practice, individuals or small business owners. Based on what you've been doing with YouTube, based on what you've seen with your experience, do you think business-to-business -business lawyers could be successful on YouTube with the caveat that there's 
generally going to be a smaller audience. If you serve general counsels of fintech companies, you're not going to have a huge universe. But do you think the things you've learned and the benefits you've received from being a massive YouTube sensation could apply to business attorneys as well? I I do think so, but in a different way. So it, rather than it being more business consumer, I would see it more as a uh, marketing to p- like potential referral sources. So maybe we're not speaking directly to our clients, but we're speaking to someone who may then be speaking to our clients. Because um, I know I have a lot of like, comments and responses from like accounting professionals, for example. So. Um, they may not be my clients, but their clients might be my clients. Um, and then I I compare it a lot to other um, things that a lot of lawyers do, like writing articles for bar organization publications, where those aren't going out to your clients either. Those are going out to our colleagues and our peers. But yet we still see that as almost a marketing or, uh, you know, client generation effort. And so how is how is YouTube or video any different, even if it's not going directly to the clients, it's going out to maybe peers or other industries, but it can still have kind of the same workaround end effect. It, it might, you know, it, it's a long game. Uh, even if you are talking directly to your consumers or like I am, it's still, you know, Unless you go viral, don't expect any kind of short-term return on your investment or anything. But yeah, I think even even for those firms, it's still a way to build a rapport and build notoriety and, and recognition in your community. I love the idea of the referral marketing co-produced content. You can imagine an interview show or a YouTube video series in the form of an interview show where you, as the small business lawyer, you have accountants, you've got financial planners, you've got HR people, you've got marketing people, you've got like the whole kind of range of people that small business owners would interact with, the range of professionals. And you can imagine family law, you could do therapists, you can do accountants, you can do small business lawyers when it comes to valuation. It's fascinating how you could really use that network that you have naturally. And guess what? Most people will be thrilled to work with you because they get their name out there. And mm-hmm. to your point, you're sharing audiences now. This accountant gets access to your 130,000 subscribers, and you get access to their email list, perhaps, their social media followers. It's a real great way to cross pollinate that benefits both groups and, importantly, the audiences of both right. groups. Right, absolutely. What is something that you wish you knew when you started your YouTube journey that you know today that you think would have been helpful in either making the process more smooth or more fruitful early on? Uh, well, I, I wish I had known the value of uh, having a video editor earlier on because um, the, the, when I think back to the time over the last nine years that I've spent editing and doing all this stuff on my own videos. It's been a lot of time and the, the result hasn't been as good as it could have been. So I wish I'd known that part earlier. Um, I mentioned, I wish I had known not to put my cell phone number on my videos earlier. Um, and I wish I had, I had grasped more that the video quality, audio quality, is important and content quality is important but the video quality not so much um you know you want it to look nice but people don't care so much about how great does this look visually um and i the, the other thing i wish i had done differently was collecting um email addresses from day one it was maybe a couple years ago i started talking about like my opt-in like hey go download my free guide to start collecting names and email addresses from the people that were viewing my videos so i i missed out on a lot of years of um that that i wish i had done earlier last question before you get out of here Turning from the past to the future, for people, especially lawyers, who want to embark on their own YouTube journey, what's a piece of advice that you would give them? Uh, my biggest piece of advice really is to just just 
do it. Just don't overthink it. Don't get too in your head. Don't get too nervous about, is it going to look good? Is it going to sound good? Just do it because that's the biggest hurdle. Um, start with the, the easiest topic that you can talk about for 10 minutes maybe. Think of the, the most common question that your clients ask um, that you can answer in, in you know a 10 minute, 15 minute um, span, then just film yourself answering it. And, and then post it and see how that goes. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect from the beginning. I think the biggest hurdle is just whatever kind of mind block um, is preventing you from just filming yourself talking about what you already know how to talk about. Like we said before, that first time you press publish or upload is going to be the hardest. And yeah. from there, it is all uphill, downhill, whatever direction we're going. It is easier once you get fast that first video being uploaded and the sheer terror, it goes away quickly. Because yeah, guess what? it does. It, it, it's out there. Thousands of millions of people on YouTube. It's no big deal for you to join them, but it's important that you gain momentum and start actually building your YouTube presence, your content presence, and hopefully having some semblance of a success that you, Aiden, have. Thank you for taking time to chat with me and my audience. Do you want to give out any content information, not your cell phone number, any information <laughs> for where people can find you? Uh, absolutely. You can find my website is 180lawco.com, uh, YouTube, and most social medias. I am at all up in yo biz, Y-O-B-I-Z, um, except on Instagram, I think I'm at all up in your business. Aiden, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Wayne, so much. Great talking to you. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Legally Contented. Thanks so much for tuning in. Check out the episode show notes for more information about our guests and for links to resources that we discussed during the episode. We'd appreciate your feedback and recommendations for future guests. Email us at hello at legallycontented.com. Hello at legallycontented.com. We would appreciate if you told your colleagues about this podcast, if you subscribe to the podcast and urge them to subscribe as well. And while you're at it, maybe you could even rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, thanks so much for tuning in to Legally Contented.